Man, I'm excited. I really am excited about what the Lord's doing in this house right now. Um, I come up here, and it's such a joy to speak every time I get up here. I never know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm serious. Like, like, I'm like the guy that is with Tiger Woods, and he's golfing, and he's throwing sand in the air to tell him, hey, hit it this way, hit it like that. That's what it's like when you preach. It's like, whoosh. And then sometimes it's blowing one way at the beginning, and by the end, it's blowing another way. And you just, you just kind of hang on and go for it. But the Lord has had me um, this morning, you want, I've, I've talked about some of this before, so, but I felt like you said to review it again and talk about it again. And so let's just go for it. Holy Spirit, we love you. Yes. Jesus, Father, you're so good. You're so good. I pray over every heart here this morning, you touch them and change them. <laughs> I'm going to wait a minute. Thanks, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're good, God. I love waiting on you. You're so good. Thanks for what you're going to do in lives this morning. Amen. I want to talk to you about being mature people today. Maturity. Um, but I want to talk to you about maturity, maybe, maybe from a lens you've never talked to, heard about it before. One of the holes that we can find ourselves in with the life of a believer is we can actually get ourselves into the place where we think that um, it's good to um, almost to not have options. Some people have been, have been raised up in an optionless Christianity, and what it does is it creates robots, not children. Uh, children have options. Your child has options. Even if you don't give it to them, they'll find them. Kids have options. God wants to raise up mature children, and for us to be mature, we have to have options. Say, well, I don't know about that. Well, then why would he have put a tree in the garden that had the option of not being good? Everything was perfect, and he put an option there because for it to be complete freedom, there had to be an option. It couldn't be. It couldn't be a place of freedom unless he had an option there. He wants to raise up mature children. And Jesus demonstrated a different model from the beginning of mankind. He knew that we couldn't attain maturity if he didn't give us options. So from right off the top, he said, I need to present options because I want to raise up mature children, mature sons, mature daughters. And life without options will also never allow you to overcome because if you don't have an option, how will you overcome? And if you've never experienced overcoming something, then you're lacking the authority that comes with it. Uh, um, Bless you, bless you. (laughs) Okay, so when we experience a breakthrough, when we experience overcoming something, with experiencing that comes the authority. For example, you get healed in your back. Someone comes up to you and says, I don't believe God heals. You're not going to have a problem with their argument because you have an experience that trumps their argument. So when someone, uh, people say that to me all the time, I don't believe in inner healing. I'm like, well, it's probably because you need some, number one. Number two is, is you probably haven't experienced the freedom of it. And, and so I used to be really funny about that stuff until my wife had a bunch of asthma issues her whole life until God pointed out an area, healed it up, and miscarriages, and all of a sudden, 
we never have, now please hear me, I'm not saying if you have miscarriages, that's just because of something in your life. But in our circumstance, we had had miscarriages, and then when she had been dealing with asthma her whole life, God healed her of things in her heart, and physically it demonstrated, and she never had asthma again. And we, we personally never had another miscarriage. I can't say that is your story, it's my story. And so, but now when someone says, I don't know about that, I, I live in the freedom and the experience of knowing that I have been through this. So I can love you, and I can love you through your journey, but your argument won't sway me. Because I have experience. You can't raise experience. You can't raise up a, a, a group of believers with authority, though, if you don't have people that are having an experience. You're not having an experience if you're not in an atmosphere that doesn't have options. It's, it's, it's easy. We think it's easier to, um, to create an atmosphere that is controlling because powerful people can be a, uh, they can be a handful sometimes. Let's just be honest. I mean, hey, you, you are a powerful person, and you have your own mind, and you have your own thoughts, and people tell me their thoughts. They tell David their thoughts, and it's not a bad thing. I want to hear your thoughts, I mean, you know, but, but you can get into an atmosphere where you don't want to hear people's thoughts, and what we do is begin to control, and we begin to create an atmosphere without options. People are attracted to that because it's easier for someone else to control you than to be self-controlled. I feel like I feel the something happening this morning. And so God wants to have mature children. He wants to have mature sons and daughters and you have, he has to give them freedom. He has to give them options. I, I, I tell my kids all the time, I, people that I get to speak into, I have to provide atmospheres for them to almost, um, I call it a test. Maybe that's not the best thing, but it's like I need to be able to test your freedom right now. Sometimes they do great. Sometimes they blow it. When they blow it, I don't say, you, I, I don't say I knew it. I've heard that one. I knew you weren't really free. I knew you hadn't truly repented. I hear that one a lot. And it's so painful because some people have journeyed on this journey of changing their thinking for so long. And on that journey, there is, there is hiccups. And I've heard it said this way before. Man, this is not in my notes at all. Uh, I've heard it said this way. There are things in our lives sometimes that are like a, a redwood tree that are really big that we need to deal with in our life. Like, and sometimes it takes some time to get that out. Like the roots are deep. It's a big tree. What happens is we, we work and we get that tree out. And then we're, man, I'm free. I'm free. And, and all of a sudden, some little teeny twig will just spring up out of the ground and someone says, I knew it. Instead of just saying, hey, you know what? That's nothing. Let's just rip that little thing out of the ground and let's move forward. But when people, when they see that, they they automatically think, I knew we never took down that redwood tree. No, it's gone. But the enemy uh, doesn't just give up and he will constantly come and he will go after you. And sometimes we make a mistake. Grab it and rip it out. Move on. You see, this is, how, this is how Jesus operated. If Jesus were... <laughs> if Jesus were to today pick out his same 12 disciples, I guarantee you there would be an issue with most people in that church. Like, that's, that's your elder board? <laughs> that guy tried to kill somebody. 
He's always putting his foot in his mouth. Jesus says, David, like David, right? The one that was after the Lord's heart. You know, he murdered someone, right? Man. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I think there's things that the Lord looks at that are different than often what we tend to look at. Yeah. We know it when we see some of the people he chose because we say that doesn't make any sense. But he operated in the mindset of you have to have options if you want to have freedom. And he knows for you to have freedom and to walk in freedom, you need authority. Because someone can come in and really challenge my freedom. The enemy, the Bible calls the enemy the father of lies. What does that mean? His only weapon is his mouth. Let's, let's show him for who he is. Let's reveal his cards. He's a mouse behind, he's a mouse with a megaphone. He's not that great. I don't give him my time either. I really don't. If I have to, you know, I'll, I'll look at something, address it, and move on, but I will not focus on it. There's too much good to focus on. And I always tell people, that only God gets my face, not the enemy. And so I won't sit there and look at what he's doing. But the, the, enemy, is called, uh, the enemy is called the father of lies. His weapon is his mouth. So his technique is going to be arguments. Confusion. Those are his techniques. Authority birthed through experience will always overcome those. That's always God. Let's, let's talk. Let's let's uh, let's talk about the wilderness. How about that? That's a fun one. Some of you are like, please tell me when I'm going to be out. <laughs> Listen, sometimes because things, I, I'm not preaching on this today, but um, sometimes God has to prune some things out so you can grow bigger. And it can hurt sometimes when he prunes. I've been through a big season of pruning, and it was like, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, that branch was fine. <laughs> I think he brought out the big, you know, <laughs> loppers for that one. But sometimes the Lord takes us through a process of the wilderness, and some of us have actually created a really negative concept of the wilderness. And it actually can really hurt the process because you can actually miss what he's doing in it. If you think that the wilderness is because you've done something wrong, you'd have to believe that Jesus did something wrong because he went in the wilderness. So that takes away the argument that I'm in this because I've done something. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. Because if he can get you to believe that he's the one that has you there, he can take away why God actually has you there. And so the wilderness is not optional. I hate to tell you, it's just not. I wish I, wish I could send you to the, you know, <laughs> this is the non-wilderness, option B. Um, there is none. But conflict is only permitted when you've been equipped to win. In the kingdom of God, conflict is only permitted if you've been equipped to win. If you step outside of the kingdom and you step outside of God's path, you can set yourself up for things that he didn't want you to go through. But in the kingdom, conflict is only permitted when you've been equipped to win. The best understanding that we do have of this is when Jesus was in the wilderness himself. He set the example. How many of you know that everything Jesus did on earth was to demonstrate what humans can do? That's really, 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 really important that you get that. And he, he came to demonstrate what you can do. He was still fully God, 
But he left it all behind so he could show you and say, you can do this, I can do this. And so when Jesus went into the wilderness, uh, that was a big deal. He was, showing us, he was showing us the trials, that he was showing us this process of temptation that he went through. It's important that we understand the process. It's important that your kids understand processes. I don't just show my kids everything that I have done really well at. Sometimes I explain to them areas I didn't do really well at. Because I want them to understand the process of how I got where I am. And sometimes I will tell them, hey, you know, man, I used to do this this way, and that was completely wrong. Now, as a parent, that doesn't bother me. Because I see my kids' eyes are thinking, oh, wow, you're actually sharing with me something that's vulnerable. And you're opening up to me. I want my kids to know, I, I don't tell my kids everything. I don't put the weight of the world on my kids. Don't do that to your kids. Some things you shouldn't put on them. I see some parents do stuff, and it's like, oh, you shouldn't put that on your kids, man. They shouldn't know that. But there are some things that on the other side of breakthrough, it's good to walk them through the process. And so we see this passage in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Let's go there so I can give you something in the Bible that you'll feel like it's legal. I could, I could tell it to you, but let's just read some of it. Luke chapter 3, verse uh, 21. Oh, that's not it, because that is the genealogy of Jesus, and we ain't reading that. Uh, let's go to... What? Oh, there it is. Genealogy came after that. I'm going to let David preach on that next week. <laughs> If you could just break that down for us. Every name, what they mean, where they're from, Nahum. (laughs) Okay, verse 21, and when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And so he was praying, and heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I always love to just point out right here that Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He was just being a son as of now. Never put the pleasure of the Father based on what you do. It's always in who you are. And so he had done nothing. He's getting, he's kicking off his ministry, right? He says, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And he was about 30 years old when this happens. This is really important because Jesus came to the earth with authority Authority comes in, in, in a few different ways, but one of the ways that we have authority is when we're being sent. This is really, really important. This is why I tell people when they're leaving the church, it's important to be sent, not just went. People get mad at me when I say that. Because people always, are, you know, will reach out, and I feel like the Lord is leading me to leave, and I say, that's, that's, if that's him, that's awesome. I'd love to sit down and talk about it, because I'd love to send you. Because if you leave just having went, you're going without authority. But if we get to send you, we get to place you in authority and send you out. Um, But that's another sermon for another day that David will also preach. Uh, (laughs) How to leave a church. (laughs) If you do a bad job, I guess it still works. (laughs) But there's an authority in the sending. There's an authority in being sent. When Jesus was sent, there was authority placed on him. So when people are sent, there is an authority, but that doesn't mean that there's a power. They have an authority. And so 
Note, uh, notice when Jesus, if you flip over to, uh, let me just read a piece of the next scripture, chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I fast one day and I'm hungry, so go Jesus. So let's pause there a second. Notice when Jesus went into the Holy Spirit, when he went into the wilderness, he was filled, he was uh, he was full of the Holy Spirit, but if you jump to the end of that chapter, it's going to say when he came out of the wilderness that he was filled with power. Brings up something interesting, the idea that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit and something else had to happen for power to be activated. I'm not going to teach on that because I'm not sure I fully have my mind wrapped around it, to be honest with you. But the idea that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he came out on the other end with power. Jesus demonstrated something major for every believer. He, he was demonstrating, don't ever try to accomplish the assignment on your life with authority outside of power. This is really important because some people, they almost like, well, I'll be in the authority camp over here. You're in the power camp over there. Those camps can't be separated. They have to be together. Jesus said he was filled with, uh, he was filled with uh, the Holy Spirit. He was Filled with authority, but he had to go through the process of the wilderness for it to translate into power. He wouldn't start his ministry until he was operating in power. You got to pay attention closely to Jesus. These are big deals. He wouldn't, he knew he couldn't accomplish what was on his life with no power. So Jesus goes into the wilderness, and what happens? Maturity, the hope, there's something in him that is is formed in this process. Now, I love actually studying the, the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness because there's some really powerful stuff in there that I think we can easily just jump right over because the wilderness can take what is potential and form it into reality. I, 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 this would mess with most people's head because for Jesus, it's like, okay, like this morning, he got baptized. It was a pretty amazing baptism. Heaven's ripped open. Like, dove, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is a magnificent moment. Straight into the wilderness. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My culture, I always thought that wilderness, then the big moment. Some of you are like, got baptized. I'm not saying you're going straight into the wilderness. (laughs) I'm just saying that with Jesus, it's interesting that one of the biggest moments of his life and his walk on earth was that he got baptized and then God took him into a place of what was spoken had to be formed. God spoke to him and said, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. Good job. He leaves. He goes to the wilderness. What's actually the first temptation that the devil throws at him? It wasn't one of the three that you know that we read about. The first temptation by the devil was, if you are the son of God. The devil doesn't know that God uses him as a pawn all the time. I can see, like, the Lord using the devil in this moment. Like, the devil thinks he has him. And he's actually forming up power. And Jesus, because he's working it in. God had just spoken this word over his son. He goes into the wilderness, and the devil says, well, if you're the son of God. Things get interesting here, because 
Uh, one, of the, one of the myths that people can believe is that in the season of the wilderness, there's no fruit in my life. Um, I would challenge the idea of having any season with no fruit in your life. Maybe different fruit. And I think I could scripturally back that up with some of the things that we can read about Jesus causing things to fruit out of season. Wow, you just got super quiet on that one. You're like, leave me alone in my fruitless desert. (laughs) You can have it if you want. All I'm saying is, is that I don't believe that we can say that Jesus ever lived in a place without fruit in his life. Because if you believe that, you'll have to say it about him. So whatever you believe about your wilderness, you're going to also have to believe it about his wilderness. Isn't it funny when you look at it through that lens? He was perfect theology. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. He was fully human. He was fully human. And he was perfect theology. Theology, he perfectly represented God. The easiest way, people say, I want to learn about God. The easiest way I could tell you right off the top is to read about the life of Jesus because you could see God in human form. And so read about him. Look at how he responds to things. It's not like you have nice Jesus and, and bad God and Jesus is the happier version. It's what I feel like some people think. Because they, they, their, your viewpoint is actually of God through an old covenant. But the whole point of him sending Jesus was because he was actually trying, well, to break the power of sin, but he was also sending him to accurately reveal the Father. And so he said, the only way I can accurately show you is I need to send my son in human form, just like you. He falls, he cuts himself. He probably would get sore working, just like you, but he's fully God. That way you can see, oh, that's what God's like. Oh, that's what God's like. The, the, the reality is the wilderness is not some place outside of you in a sense. It's a place in your heart that every believer, including Jesus, had to walk through. But there's a comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit will lead you through only what you've been prepared to overcome. When I know I go into something and I can overcome it, I'm okay. We went through a really challenging season about four or five years ago, right before we were actually launching this church, and I was on staff for my dad, who was the pastor of the church before that, and um, I was really pretty, pretty frustrated, and I remember just going before the Lord, and I was like having one of those Psalms moments, you know, like before the pause in the presence, <laughs> like, God, I, I remember I was just so, I was being so sassy. I was like, God, what do I need to prove to you? I'm like, don't you know? And I was even like lifting myself up and everything. I'm like, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm not like some people. It's bad. <laughs> and it was almost like, I remember it came out of my mouth. I just, it just blah. I was like, what will it take for you to know that I can trust you? I remember it was blah. And it was like, it felt good. It felt good. Hey, listen, you can't, don't feel bad to talk to God what you're feeling. He's a really good father. Some people are like, I just, I'm so, I'm like, I'll I'll tell people sometimes, just tell him. I've, 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 and I'm not saying you need to do this, but I've stood with people at the altar before that said, I 
hate you, God. And the moment it came out of their mouth, something in their spirit went, and freedom all of a sudden had the opportunity to get in because there was hate they were holding on to, that it was a moment that they got it out. It also, something in their mind hit them like, oh my goodness, did I just say that? What was in my heart? Revealed it. And they looked at me like, did you hear that? Well, said it right in my face, but you know, um, (laughs) I didn't bother me. He's better than that. You don't have to worry. He's not, yeah, not going to strike you dead. I know. I mean, that's been some of the, might have been how you grew up. I'm not saying to make a habit of it. I'm just saying don't be afraid to share what's in your heart. I did. And I was walking around. I'll never forget. It was the coldest day that year. I bundled up. And it was cold. Even for, like, North Carolina, it was cold. And um, I went out. And I was just like, Lord. What will it take for you to understand? And the Lord just so calmly said back to me, he said, oh, I know how much you, he said, I know how much you trust me. I want to see what I can trust you with. And I thought, oh, that's a good one. I'm like, if this is a wilderness process to see what all that I can be given, bring it on. And I did. I came back to Tiffany. I hugged her in the kitchen. I said, we're in the process that God is doing something and he's forming in us something. And um, we got an award in 2012. Actually, I just posted a little video in our, in our TGC family this morning. If you haven't seen it, I can show it to you on my phone after. But in 2012, I got prophesied over by Randy Clark at an event about bringing an outpouring to Charlotte. But what happened the morning before that, because on the video, he knew who we were and where we were from, because earlier that day, he took us in a room, and he prophesied, and he ministered over to us. And he said to us, he said, he said, John, he said, you are going to have to turn a ship around. And he said, it's not easy to turn a ship around. And he said, also, he said, the Lord is going to reduce you to strength like Gideon's army. Don't confuse numbers with strength. Well, I was like, I think that's a good word. You know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Now it's a great word. But looking back, I'm like, he definitely made us strong. <laughs> um, <laughs> we lost a lot of people. I don't think we could have got much stronger. Um, I'm like, Lord, are we strong yet? You know, it's like, because we're getting pretty small. And, um, and I, I remember I just, the Lord was forming something in me because he'd given me that word, but he needed to form it now. I had the Holy Spirit. I had the word on my life, but something had to take it from a word of being potential and, and being reality. And he was walking me through that process. But he will only lead you through conflict. He will only lead you through the wilderness with the intention to champion you. He's got, I'm telling you, he's got your champion jersey on the other side. And he's like, once you get through this, it's yours. Like, you got this. He comes straight out of the massive moment, right into the wilderness. You guys, you good? I got a few things I don't know what I can get through, so. I'm going to skip that. I think there were even times with Jesus that he, he knew what was coming his way, and he wasn't thrilled to go through it either. I can, I can biblically prove it to you that in James, uh, no, excuse me, um, he says, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He was not looking forward to what was in front of him. I think that was a moment of, I love when I see these moments of like the clearest pieces of the humanity that Jesus was in come out. It was like, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What is he saying? God, if you're, (laughs) feel free to take this. 
He knew what was in front of him. Some of you, you have situations in front of you right now that you're very aware of what's right in front of you. I, I, I have those happen often, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And my, my heart is like, God, if you want to take this one. <laughs> Sometimes he does. That's the great thing. But most of the time, he wants to walk me through the process. Because on the other side, I come out more mature. He could have taken it from me, and I would have felt really blessed, but no more mature. Sometimes he wants to show you you're a son and a daughter and step in and be a good daddy and say, I got this one. He does that sometimes. He did that for me with the situation that I was believing for a a financial, uh, the number that I was believing for. And he did. It was like, whoa, that was cool. Sometimes he wants to come to you and says, you know the process in front of you. Now it's time. Let's go through it. Because he wants to form in you a mature believer. He knew when he was entering. Jesus knew when he entered this process, he was getting ready to walk through. There was no escape. <laughs> like there was no turning back. And so he was having that moment with the Lord of, of just this, this tender, honest, raw moment. If you're willing, you can take this cup. You ever thought about that? Like Jesus is basically venting on God. Because he's going to do it. In trials, God will give you the supernatural strength to endure. Oh, man, I was debating on talking about this. There's a difference between trials and temptation. If you don't understand that, it will actually make this really confusing. It'll actually appear that the Bible contradicts itself. Because scriptures like James 1.13 says, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But then we see in Matthew 6, 9... Lead us not into temptation. Verses like that. The thing we need to understand, I'm gonna gonna throw this out there for you a minute. I'm gonna read it so I don't mess it up. There's five words in the New Testament Testament that share the same Greek root word. One word is prove, to prove something. The other is examine, to examine something. The other is a test, trials, temptations. They all come from pirezo, that word. All five words come from that root word, which means that they can easily be translated different ways. There's a big difference between being tempted versus being proven. When you understand that these are actually can be translated multiple different ways, you'll begin to realize your Bible doesn't contradict itself because you're saying, well, God says he doesn't tempt anyone, and then I'm being, feeling like I'm being tempted or this or that. I believe that there's a process that we go through with trials that are different. I don't believe that, how do I say this? I don't believe that trials have an escape door. I believe that Jesus knew that, which is why when he was getting ready to go through this, he said, if you're willing to take this from me, that'd be great. Because he knew the trial that he was getting ready to step into, there was no escape door. I can tell when I'm meeting with someone that's going through trials because I I don't have like a, hey, I can tell you how to get out of this. 
I, I, some people I meet with them, and I can tell God is forming something up differently, and I can guide them, and you can see it change quickly. Sometimes I meet people, and I say, you're in a trial. I can feel it, and there is no escape door. But he will not lead you through this if he's not prepared you for it. But here's the other thing. I think in trials, I think, and this, I, I don't know that I can biblically prove this, but this is my feeling. So take it or leave it. I do believe that the Lord is very nearby in trials. I see him like a coach or a, a, a father that is just, come on, come on. There's no door out, but come on, come on. And I, 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 that's how I feel in trials. When someone can get me reconnected, because the danger is when you're in a trial and you lose connection with the Lord. That's when a trial becomes dangerous. But if you can keep connected to the Lord through the trial and as you're walking through it and you can feel that, come on. Sometimes they'll use other people in your body and the family to do that. Um, trials are different than temptation. They just are. Temptation are things that Jesus went into and, and they're just not the same. I believe often when we read the word temptation in our Bible, often it was for something to be proven, something to be proven in you. When Jesus was led into the season of temptation, it was so that something could be proven. Now, I could go into so many teachings off this one piece, and I'm I'm jumping around, but um, in that context, temptation in that context, it produces powerful people. People that go through it and come out, they're, they're way more powerful for it. I can tell when someone just came out of something because there's a level of authority on them that's like fresh, and I can feel it. I, I can see it on them. They come into church every week, and it's like they're pressing forward, and they're pressing forward. And then one week, it's like I can see something different on their face, and it's like, you made it. I feel it. You made it. And they're like, I made it. <laughs> Um, but but this, this type of temptation, it's to prove you. It's not to disprove you. Yeah. It's to show you what you can do. It's to demonstrate your abilities, not your weaknesses. The wilderness will confront all different revelation that you've received in a good way. The first thing, Jesus had just received this public recognition and revelation from the Father. This is my son. I'm well pleased in you. And the first thing that he confronted was the revelation that he just got. See, that's where, things, that's where you have to realize that sometimes the things that are coming at you are not to discredit it. It's actually to work it in. I meet people that they get a massive revelation of the Lord, and it's like, then all of hell breaks loose, and they begin to think, oh, that, whoa, I don't know what I just stepped into. I'm stepping back out of that. And sometimes it's like, no, that's how great this thing is that you just stepped into, that the enemy is that shaken by it. Don't you step out. And if you try, surround yourself with people that will push you back in. Give me 10 minutes. 
After challenging his identity, which was the very first thing the enemy did, he begins to do something that we see a lot of today. He begins to use scripture out of context. This is where it gets fun. This is an age-old trick of the devil. You can, you, you know you can, how do I say this? The enemy was actually using scripture at Jesus out of context, which is why every time he tempted Jesus, his response was, it is written, and he clarified it. Now, this is powerful, because the enemy's still using this one. I have seen the Bible used as a weapon many times when it's used in the wrong, wrong context, and it can actually be used to advance, and hear me right, but it can actually, if used as a weapon and out of context, it can be used to advance the kingdom of darkness, opposed to what it's supposed to do is advance light. I've met people that have been stabbed with verses out of context, and they're still bleeding. They're bleeding out. They're like, this hurts. No, it's God. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) That one's not. Now, this is where it gets important to read your Bible and understand what you're reading, and because um, people with really good intentions will quote things out of context. And if exciting enough, (laughs) it'll stick. Uh, this is a big deal, this one. Because I meet a lot of people that don't understand this one, and this is one of the enemy's greatest tactics, is to, to take the word of God and to twist it enough that it becomes something that hurts people. Because they won't question it because it's the word of God. I feel like I'm opening something bigger than I have 10 minutes for. I need to be careful. Um, so the enemy kept coming at Jesus. First thing was he went after his identity. Next move was to go after scripture. People will make some very poor choices because of their interpretation of scripture. <laughs> Anytime that we begin interpreting scripture outside of our identity in Christ, it will always release shame, confusion, and doubt. It will. If you're not careful, your interpretation of a scripture can actually benefit the devil more than the Lord. He's still quoting the scripture out of context. The devil's... Still trying that one. And he kept coming at Jesus, and Jesus kept saying, well, it's written. What did he do? He put it right back in context. And no, that's not what it says. That's what he's saying by saying it's written. No, that's not what it means. All three times. The very thing that the devil was trying to do to Jesus, the very purpose of ripping him apart and thinking he had him was actually establishing him. He thought he had him. You and me, 40 days in the desert, no food, you're mine. But the problem is is that the wilderness is actually somewhere that solidifies us in the Lord. It's like an oven. 
you, know, you can have all the ingredients to a wonderful recipe, but you got to put it in some heat. And then when it comes out, it's time to eat. So many people come, and you've got all the right ingredients. But you're doing anything you can to stay away from the heat that will actually create the recipe that you're making. And sometimes the hardest part is to realize the heat is what takes the ingredients and gives you what God really wants. Nobody enjoys the heat. I'm not like, yeah, bring the heat. (laughs) I don't look for it. I don't shy away from it, but I don't look for it either. Some people do. I'm like, go for it. (laughs) The wilderness is not a bad place. It's a, it's a place that confronts lies about yourself. Oh, it will confront lies. Even if they're attached to a scripture. Something really interesting after this is that Jesus leaves. So Jesus, what happens? He goes to the wilderness. He overcomes He's hungry, he's tired, he's physically, he's physically tired. And here's what I feel for this morning. He's physically tired, he's supernaturally and spiritually charged. His body was tired. Angels came and ministered to him, which I really do believe. Like, I didn't put this together until this morning. I can't prove this again. This is John, throw it, leave it or keep it, whatever. Leave it or keep it. I gave you one option. <laughs> that was smart. I didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> keep it or take it. I don't know. Um, when Jesus was in the wilderness, when he was in the wilderness, said so the angels came and ministered to him. This morning when I was praying, the Lord said, call out on redemption and restoration. Yeah. I do believe that just maybe redemption and restoration were two of the angels that ministered to him. Again, that's what I believe. He comes out. Now the Bible says he's filled with power. Why? Because everything's been worked in. He had the ingredient of identity. He had the ingredient of power. And it all got put into the heat and it turned into, it's time to roll. Let's go. But something interesting is that Jesus had a perspective on, and I'm going to end on this, Jesus had a perspective on the wilderness that I've never actually seen with most people. He didn't want to just get through it. He wanted to overcome it. That's different, and I can prove it to you. Because your Bible says, and I believe Luke chapter six, uh, 5, verse 16, it says that, this is interesting, it says, from time to time, Jesus would go rest in the wilderness. He took the place of being tested, tempted, and said, I overcame you. I can now rest there. Think about that through the perspective of when the waves were hitting the boat and Jesus was sleeping below it. And he got up, and it was why? He was sleeping. Because as my friend Bill Vanderbush says so well, that when you have authority in something, you can sleep through it. Which is why when you're struggling to get authority over something in your life and it's keeping you up at night, and when it finally you feel like, I've got this, and you rest. I will typically pray through something until I can sleep. And Jesus gets up and he says, guys, what are you doing? Just tell it to stop. I believe, though, there's a piece of this story that we joke about, but it was really important that Jesus was sleeping. Why? He's already overcome it. 
He is in a reality that can sleep in it. Here we are again. He goes through the 40 days of tempting. See, I don't see this a lot. I see people say, here's what I honestly, and not just you, I fought this. I don't ever want to go back there again. Which means you made it through it, but did you overcome it? Jesus said he went back into the wilderness and slept. The place where he went through a pretty rough 40 days. He didn't run from it, which is what we can so often do, is I want to run from it. I don't know if when he went there, there was even the power of the testimony there. He's like, this is where I overcame. He overcame it. He doesn't want you just to run from it. He doesn't want you just to get through it. He wants you to overcome it. Jesus doesn't give over ground to the enemy. He takes it away and he owns it. (laughs) I got to stop there. (laughs) The wilderness is never fun. But on the other side, you can overcome it. And you can go back to that place and say, in a good sense, I own you. All power and authority have been given to him and you are in him. You're a powerful person. He wants you to overcome it and be able to rest in it. I feel this actually really practical. Some of you, even there are things that have happened that could even be trauma-related, that the devil is actually going to heal you. The devil, Jesus, sorry. Sorry. You know my heart. There are things that have happened that actually the Lord wants to heal. And when he heals it, all right, come back. Wasn't that funny. When, you, when he heals it, you won't be able to say, I can't go in that place anymore. You'll be able to face it and say, I own that. <laughs> I watched a movie yesterday with my kids, old movie, funny movie called The Kid. It's a Disney movie with Bruce Willis. Anybody seen that? You should go watch it. I didn't realize it until yesterday, the whole movie is about inner healing. His, the kid version of him comes back to try to show him something that he needed to face. And when he was about to give up, the future version of him showed up to give him a little push. Sometimes you have to face things you don't want to face to be able to come into the breakthrough that you've been praying for. And once you do, you've overcome it and you can rest in it. I'll stand up. Thanks, God. I'm going to go ahead and call the prayer team up. So if you were on the prayer team this morning, hopefully you're here. Because <laughs> I need you.
So I think we're going to need some prayer team this morning. You guys happy still? <laughs> you had your chance to leave. <laughs> I, bu- I, p- I pray that you're blessed by this, guys. Um, this has been one of the biggest revelations that the Lord has shown me about overcoming instead of just getting through and then owning what we come through. I want to release, though, over you. All right. This is where it gets, you got to participate. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. And Lord, we just call on the angels that carry assignments. The Bible tells us that these angels carry assignments, and there are assignments in this room. I pray over those of you that that, um, you feel like, am I ever going to get through this? I pray for hope over you. Yeah. And I pray for those of you that the Lord's going to reveal some things in you this morning that he wants to heal. Right now is where the voice of doubt typically likes to show up and say, you've prayed over that a hundred other times. Tell it to be quiet and go back to hell where it came from. Because that's what happens right now. Every time I do this, I feel it. The voice of doubt can leave. And I speak hope over you. I speak hope over you. I speak over your bodies. So there's some people in this room that you have made it through the wilderness. That you've been through a real time of just a challenging season and you're actually just physically fatigued. I pray over you that right now that the Lord would come to you and that the angels of the Lord would come to you and minister to you and bring strength to your body. (laughs) Right now. Thanks, God. Some of you are facing the wilderness, and I pray over you just just that you would see things through the Lord's eyes. I bless you. So here's what's going to happen this morning. There's going to be things that the Lord's going to highlight this morning, areas that you need healing in your heart. And I feel a lot of that going on even right now. Let's just ask, Holy Spirit, is there, show me any areas I need healing. Just ask him, he's faithful. Show me any areas I need healing. Okay, he's speaking. I know he is because he's faithful. So Lord, give us the courage now to face these areas of wilderness, Lord, so that we can rest in them again. Feel such a weight of the Lord in this room. You feel that? That's really heavy. Thanks, God. Thanks, Jesus. You're really loved. You're really loved. Some of you in this room are just even, you're even questioning just maybe your relationship with the Lord. This would be a great morning to respond. If you're not in, in relationship with the Lord, you can come up and tell one of these folks and I'll pray with you. I, don't, I, I really believe in making a connection with someone in that process. So Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Oh man, it's so heavy. Thank you.
thank you for setting captives free. Thank you that you see so much in us that we don't even see. Thank you that you look past our, our, our mess ups and areas that we've just feel like we've failed and you say you're still a champion. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, this morning as people come and they get their hearts prayed over, I pray for Father for freedom. Freedom. Jesus was never not in freedom. Just because he was in the wilderness doesn't mean he wasn't free. So don't feel like you have to go through the wilderness to get free. If you're going to have to be in it, be free in it. I bless you with freedom.